Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Lucy Hickmott. It's Monday the 29th of April. Coming up, rape victims asked to hand their mobile phone over to police. This news might put victims off from coming forward. More support for vulnerable people in custody. We do listen to them, we do refer them to the services that they need and with us being there it does make a difference and it does change people's lives. And a new animation tells the story of a real life shipwreck off the Kent coast. The lights go out, it's midnight in the museum and suddenly the artefacts come to life. Kent Online News. Campaigners say rape victims are being made to choose between privacy or justice as police ask them to to hand over their mobile phones. Forces across England and Wales want accusers to allow officers to access data including messages, photos, emails and social media content. If they don't, cases could be dropped. Big Brother Watch is calling it a digital strip search that will prolong the distress for those who've been attacked. Ish has been speaking to Ted Dunn from the Kent branch of the charity Victim Support. What do you make of victims being asked to hand over their mobile phones? Well, I think the first thing that we need to point out is we know that rape is seriously underreported. And there are already several barriers to victims coming forward. So uh, this news may put victims off from coming forward. There's a a risk that cases could potentially be dropped if they don't hand over their phones. Does that seem unfair to you then? It does. I mean, victims are given a choice, but also are being told that it could impact that prosecution. And we feel that that puts a lot of pressure on a victim. Um, it could mean that they could feel coerced into doing so. How difficult is it then to ask someone to to hand over their phones when there's perhaps this issue of trust with other people at the time? That's exactly right. Victims may feel that they're being investigated and that they are in the wrong. Um, That could further add to to their distress. And obviously, victim support, we're here to reduce the effects of trauma and distress. Um, And there's a good chance that they may feel re-victimised by this. There is this kind of concern about how it's used in a criminal investigation. Um, and, and and again, really, we're, we're looking at re-victimisation for individuals. And so what would be your advice to prosecutors? How should they be handling what is a very sensitive situation? Again, it is a difficult situation, and we do understand um, these things being put forward. But again, it's really important for us um, to put out the point of view that from victim support, it doesn't matter whether that victim reports that crime to the police or not. If they do want to do that at a later stage, it's also something we can support them with. Kent Online News. Elsewhere today, a man's pleaded guilty to murdering his wife in Maidstone on Christmas Day. 19-year-old Parwin Qureshi was found dead at their flat in Kentish Court off London Road in December last year. An inquest has since heard she had multiple stab wounds. Her husband, Mohammed Qureshi, who's 27, has now admitted killing her and is due to be sentenced in June. A man in his 40s has been taken to hospital after being found unconscious following an attack in Maidstone Town Centre. He told police he'd been assaulted after officers were called to the high street early yesterday morning. Detectives have released a CCTV image of a man they want to speak to. You can see it at kentonline.co.uk. A drug dealer who accused police of planting cocaine on him after leading them on a high-speed chase has been jailed. 
Michael Blow tried to ram a patrol car while trying to get away from Blue Water in March last year. The 20-year-old from Knockhall Chase in Greenhithe has been locked up for 13 months. Kent Online News. Now, a new way of supporting vulnerable people in police custody has been launched in Kent. The Criminal Justice Liaison and Diversion Service is now assessing everyone who's been arrested for any health or social needs. It's through the role of a support worker who will meet with individuals and identify what help can be offered to them during the criminal process. Ish has been finding out more from service manager Gemma McSweeney. It's a national service. All parts of the country now have got a liaison and diversion provision. And within Kent, we have been performing this role since 2015. Um, in its all vulnerability model and just recently we launched a new way of working and this is to have presence in all custody suites across the county seven days a week and we screen for vulnerable individuals that may be committing their crimes as a result of health or social inequality Um, and this may be in looking at things like mental health learning disability, speech and language difficulties or other health and social vulnerabilities such as housing, um, substance misuse, uh, welfare, benefits issues, um, a real variety of needs, even things like acquired brain injury, which actually, as a result of those things, they may be involved in criminal activities that if we could address those needs, we could look at reducing the offending behaviour that's bringing them through the criminal justice system. There was a variation of of the service beforehand and now you have this new model that's been introduced here in Kent. Can you just explain how it's different? Previously, we've always, within uh, KMPT, which is the local mental health trust, we've always had a provision that responded to the mental health needs of people in custody. And... When when our model was expanded, it then moved to all vulnerabilities and all ages. And so we decided that having mental health nurses in custody uh, wasn't going to necessarily pick up on all the other needs. Um, And we needed to kind of turn the model on its head. And in doing that, we now have practitioners, sort of support practitioners that are in custody, screening everybody that comes through within their working hours to identify not only mental health, but all the other vulnerabilities that people present with. What they then do is if a mental health need is picked up or any other need that maybe needs a more full specialist assessment, they would then call in our registered clinicians to come and complete a full assessment while they can then continue to screen all the other people. And by doing that, we're then meeting the needs and covering all the different areas of need within custody, which means we are picking up on lots, lots more people now. And we can then refer on to our community provision and support those people up to six weeks um, until they are engaged in other community services that could support that need as well. So it really has increased our capacity and increased the number of people and the number of needs that we can now support. Was there a real need for introducing this new model here in Kent? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the police are also really focusing on vulnerable individuals. Um, And in fact, in today's society... 
not only the mental health and sort of learning difficulty needs, but actually the, the complex social systems that we have that a lot of people find it difficult to navigate through um, means that a lot of people either give up at early stages or they don't know what community services are out there. And as a result, they are disadvantaged uh, and then criminal activity can increase as a result. Um, and so the police and health and social services all recognise that supporting these individuals um, and, and identifying the needs that they have can reduce that criminal justice activity, reduce the people going through the system. My name's Sam Banfield. I'm a liaison and diversion practitioner for the Criminal Justice Liaison and Diversion Service. We will go into their cells and speak with them and just get an understanding um, of their needs that they require or if they require any needs it may be that they don't have any needs um, so we'll offer them a um, one of our service leaflets so they can contact us when they've been released um, if they do need any of our service when they've left um, and yeah so we we engage with them um, we let them know what we do first we introduce ourselves and the service that we offer. From what you've seen already how, how difficult can it be to interact with someone who's already a, you could argue perhaps in a vulnerable position just going into custody is it difficult to interact with them and, and how important is it to handle sort of that relationship sensitively yeah definitely it can be quite hard to engage at first it can be that they've already got a massive trust issue it could be that they've been failed by services before it could be that they've been you know they've been arrested and they're not happy with why they've been arrested or they're not happy that they are in custody at that point and they automatically think that we are the police. So it's just reassuring them that we are a different service and this is the service that we offer. Um, and it's making them feel like an individual as well and that we are there for them. And then, you know, we're not there for the police. We, yes, we do work alongside the police, but our main aim is to get them where they need to be. So give them the support that they need. And do you think it's also another way of perhaps rehabilitation as well? Because there, there's, there's certainly been some criticism, shall we say, of how people are rehabilitated during their time in prison. And, you know, that's perhaps been a contributing factor towards them reoffending. And you, you've mentioned a lot about breaking that cycle. I think that is one that is one of the main reasons why we do it is so that that cycle can be broken. And sometimes when someone has been involved in criminal activity, they're not really given that support that they need. And with us being in custody, you know, we do make that slight difference in their lives. So, you know, we do listen to them. We do try and refer them to the, well, we do refer them to the services that they need. And it could be the services they didn't know about. So with us being there, it, it does make a difference and it does change people's lives. I've spoke to, um, people that have actually turned it around and yeah it definitely makes a difference. Kent Online reports. A Kent Head teacher has decided to quit her job and go abroad after claiming parents are continuing to undermine discipline at school. Ebbsfleet Academy principal Alison Colwell who hit the headlines for sending girls home when their skirts were too short has said the lack of rules and general attitude in some homes is dooming children to failure. You can let us know if you think more should be done about disruptive parents by voting 
in our poll at kentonline.co.uk. A base jumper who miraculously survived when a jump at Dover went wrong just four months ago is planning to leap off the same cliff this week. Chad Smith from Maidstone was flown to hospital with back and pelvis injuries after landing at St Margaret's Bay in December. The 27-year-old spent three weeks in hospital but always vowed that wouldn't put him off. And finally today, the story of a shipwreck off the Kent coast has been brought to life by animation students in Rochester. Marcus and the Mystery of the Roman Pudding Pans is a short cartoon telling the story of pottery brought ashore in the 18th century, which was later discovered to be from a cargo ship that had sunk in 200 AD. The animation's been created to support a special exhibition at the Seaside Museum in Hearn Bay and includes the voices and ideas of pupils from Hearn Bay Junior School. We've been chatting to the University of the Creative Arts Computer Animation Arts course leader, Phil Gom, who's been sharing his thoughts on the film. I grew up with things like, you know, Fantasia and the very famous sort of um, one uh, with Mickey Mouse when the uh, the mop and the broom come to life. So it was very clear in terms of sort of conceiving of this film that uh, those those big traditions in animation, that sort of, that thing that we all love, uh, that thing that animation can do, it can bring to life the inanimate objects. It's something that we all sort of love. I think as children, perhaps, we sort of imagine that our toys come to life, don't we? Where am I? What am I doing here? He's awake. Stay back, Belsa. He might be cracked. We sort of hope that the objects in our homes have a secret life when we're not looking. And as soon as you sort of um, bring that into a project like this, we sort of knew instinctively that if you wanted people to sit down and learn a bit of history and do a sort of um, and get some kind of local history, that the way to deliver that engagingly would be to use all that that lovely tradition of animation where the lights go out, it's midnight in the museum, and suddenly the artefacts come to life. It was a no-brainer, really. What's going on? Who are you? Who am I? You're an antiquity. Oops, thank you. It means you're really old and really fragile. And it was very sort of satisfying for us to see that 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 has connected and resonated with with visitors to the museum. That's it for now, but for more news throughout the day, you can head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.